Welcome all you creatures of the night and late night prowlers. This is the latest podcast episode in gore and guts, slasher, screams and squeals, the paranormal and the fucking supernatural. Talking about all the films which conjure up your nightmares, this is It Records. I'm Matt Johnson. And I'm Peter Hansen. And this week we watched the 1985 cult classic Fright Night, directed by Tom Holland. And Peter, I'd like to start off with saying thank you for allowing me to uh, to watch this movie and put it on the podcast because I am certainly a fan. I don't know if this is your favorite genre of the horror, but uh, I enjoy the uh, reflexive horror film, if you will. I would say vampire films in general have really like lost in the last few decades. And this is one that's nice that kind of, you know, it kind of reminds us that there's still good vampire movies out there. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, Because it's sort of a dying breed of of, uh, of a horror monster, I guess. Um, And it's nice to see um, that one can be so successful and so popular still to this day. Um, But for the viewer, I'll just break right into if you haven't seen Fright Night, which I recommend you do. Um... Here's just a basic outline of of the film. We have Charlie Brewster, uh, a young teenage horror fan. He believes his next-door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge, is a vampire. Belief is strengthened when the mysterious death of girls are reported. Dandridge confronts Charlie in his own bedroom one night and tries to kill him. Charlie concludes that the monster must be destroyed. But since nobody believes him, he enlists the help of Peter Vincent, the vampire killer from his favorite horror TV show. And there you have Fright Night. Have I ever told you my theory about Peters and movies? Of what? <laughs> my theory of, like, characters named Peter in movies. No, but I'd love to hear. Okay, so in pretty much every movie that I've seen with a Peter in it, he is a total douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like... Could, can you name like, some? Uh, Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter... Yeah. Stinky Pete from Toy Story 2. Okay. <laughs> uh, those those are the ones that come to mind right now, but I, I'd always, whenever I hear, like, someone's like, Peter, and then they're just being an asshole, and it's a lot of times, it, it is in horror movies, too. Wow. <laughs> I never made that uh, connection before. Maybe the name Peter is synonymous with uh, being a douchebag, so, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so with that in mind, um, looking into Fright Night um, and why we really decided to choose it, um, for me, um, in college, I actually did a presentation on Fright Night, basically for my, my, my love of it and of vampire films in general, but really what, what stuck out to me with this film is why I, I wanted to watch it, Pete, um, is basically I want to talk about the vampire lore, um, basically what is traditional, what we've seen in literature, what do we see in past film, and then leading up to this movie. Um, the timeliness of it, really, uh, 1985 vampire movies were non-existent on their way out, um, if you will, and this one came out and had relative success. And then um, the reflexiveness of the genre, the consciousness of the genre, and the timing of it, um, um, a whole decade before Scream came out, which was meta for the horror genre, 
Um, those are the main key significances for me of why this was uh, an impressive horror film, and I'm going to talk to those as we go into the film. Man, you're really dissecting the shit I'm out of sorry. it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I love the film. I've done a presentation, as I said. But um, would you agree on any of those? Or No, I think I like where you're going with this, and I'm definitely pretty shocked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, then. With that, would you like to just launch right into Act 1 of Fright Night? Yeah, let's uh, let's tackle this bad boy. All right. Well, from scene one, opening scene, I'm hooked. Um, it's the long panning shots and the, the foggy atmosphere of the suburban neighborhood, and you hear sort of an encounter between, seems like a, a female, a young female and a, a monstrous man of some sort, but you don't see it, and it just leads up all the way until you see that it's the TV, it's Fright Night, um, that Peter... I'm sorry, not Peter. Uh, Charlie. Charlie is watching. Um, and from then I was hooked that it's definitely going to, this movie, um, it's not going to be what it seems. It's not meant to be lurking in the shadows. It's very aware of itself. It knows what it's doing, and it wants you to be there going along for this ride. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fun movie, yeah. where, like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And something that I liked about it from the beginning is that it kind of has, like, the nostalgia feel right away like oh i love even, that yeah yeah even like probably back then like even though if it was a fresh movie in the 80s it probably still felt nostalgia because like pro- i feel like horror fans like oh they love staying up late and watching these like shitty horror movies like uh, with these midnight hosts or like like a uh evil El- elvira or something like yeah. that mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely felt that nostalgia uh, going into it, and, and I watched it in 2015, so <laughs> I was getting it too. Um, was that your first, was their first viewing uh, last year? Um, no, for my, that was for the presentation, but... Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and then in 2016 for this podcast, and then earlier when I was in high school. So a total of three viewings of Fright Night uh, for me. Um Moving forward, I guess, into the into the film, besides the first opening sequence, um, I do like that the plot gets going right away. I mean, you see Charlie up in his room with Amy, um, his Waste girlfriend. Waste no time. No time. I mean, they are, <laughs> they are in the act of some sort of sexual activity, um, and she's ready to make the next move, and he looks out the window, and you see a man moving a coffin next door. So immediately, there's the catalyst. That's... I marked five minutes into the movie. Just under five minutes. That's already occurring that we see that something's afoot next door. With uh, Chris Sarandon being one of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that uh, Susan Sarandon, that was her husband, and even to this day, she kept his, which I thought was weird, that she kept his name even though they're divorced now. No, I didn't know that. I saw yeah. I saw the name and I kind of I mean I guess I saw the connection but I didn't look any deeper into it. That's interesting. Yeah, she got famous because she went on uh like uh Chris Sarandon had like a an acting gig and she went for the the casting of it and then she and she impressed somebody so she got like parts like parts later on because of that. Wow. How about that? The more yeah. you know. <laughs> Fright Night. Learning about Susan Sarandon. 
Um, Six degrees of separation. <laughs> <laughs> Making our way back. We'll start a new. We'll start a new game on our podcast. Six degrees of Susan Sarandon. <laughs> I'm sure that will not catch up. <laughs> it would last like two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, into Act One and my my pamphlet of notes that I've I've conjured up. Um, what we see really in in Act One, if I can go into all the vampire lore that I I mean, it really hits on all of the tropes that a vampire film will in, in the act one. In the first really opening sequence is the coffin next door. Um, the guy carrying the coffin is sort of seen as the, the apprentice of the vampire. And then you see the POV cam of what I could only assume to be Jerry Dandridge turning into a bat and flying around Charlie's house. Correct. Oh, yeah. Correct. Yes, I agree. <laughs> And you get the gothic architecture of the house. The house um, compared to the whole suburban neighborhood, it's kind of really ominous and uh, pointed archways with the stained glass windows, uh, the cobwebs. So it kind of paints that picture that something's off here, and we'll learn that it's a vampire later on. Um, going with that, we have all this really in the first scene, Pete, of being a vampire. But Jerry Dandridge is eating an apple in the scene and he kind of tosses it at Charlie. Do you remember this scene? Yes, I do. And he does that throughout the film. <laughs> do you have any hypothesis on why why he chose to do this? I, I know the answer. You know the answer? <laughs> I do. Uh, Alright, let's just tell me the answer then. <laughs> okay, um, it's something that Chris Serenin came up with. Of that course. He wanted that uh, he wanted to be, that he said he had a fruit bat in his DNA. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he did, or the vampire had fruit bat? The, the, the vamp, his character, not, not him personally. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough, I guess. It's an acting choice. Uh, it makes sense. He was a bat 30 seconds before. Right. Is that, is that, is that correct? I mean, I had, I didn't know. I was just asking if you had any idea. I just had picked up on the, uh, several occurrences of him eating several different fruits having a, a cornucopia were... <laughs> of fruit with him I thought you were trapping me and be like actually Peter it's this <laughs> actually you're completely wrong <laughs> nice try no that's good to know it was a little uh, trivia that I because I was I thought it was strange because at the first viewing I didn't think anything of it and then now it's probably like my fourth or fifth time seeing the movie. And I'm like, he sure is eating a lot of f- apples. <laughs> yeah, you, I, you start to pick up on it after watching it a few times. That it's it's present. <laughs> and he like never finishes it either. He always like... Yeah. But he eats the core though, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, something I wanted to... A little sidebar. Uh, with the... Va- you know, his... Uh, Chris Sarandon's little sidekick. What do you call a vampire's like little slave? Isn't there like a name for them? You know, I couldn't think of a name. I don't know of a name. I usually just call it uh, a slave or sort of like a, a, a vampire's apprentice sort of a thing. But it's definitely under some hypnotic trance. And it's definitely in every 
vampire movie or literature you could think of, starting with Dracula. Yeah. And Nosferatu, for that that matter. Um, it's just a trope of it. And really, there's two in this film with um, whatever that man was who lived with Jerry Dandridge, whatever he was, we, he melts away into acid <laughs> and later on in the film. But then also... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he was. He kind of was... Was he like a, a robot? Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he was a zombie because he got shot and came back to life. Then he kind of melted away after the cross hit him. I'm not really sure, but he was definitely yeah. an apprentice type to Jerry Dandridge. And then the second... The second death that was very confusing was... Uh, well, I guess... I'm going to go on to spoilers here. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, e- Evil Ed, like, yeah. how he, like, turned into, like, a wolf. And I'm just like, wait, he's a vampire. What's fucking going on here? <laughs> yeah, that, that got me, too. <laughs> like, why are you a wolf now? Why, why is this happening? And... Because... In any sort of tradition that I know of, vampires and werewolves are like polar opposites. Not and they're like enemies too. Enemies, according to De Van Helsing, but with uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are mortal enemies. Um, and speaking of Van Helsing, um, the parallel of Peter Vincent and Van Helsing is definitely a uh, hit on the whole vampire tradition. Hitting. Oh, it's very apparent. Yeah, that was like. <laughs> Not subtle. <laughs> just, it was Peter Cushing, uh, in all of those vampire movies that he did, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or Vincent Price. Pick, uh, pick your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I do have one of his lines that I wrote down that I think sums up the entire movie. Peter Vincent says this um, when he's when Charlie confronts him for the first time to help him with the vampire, and he says, "Your generation doesn't want." To watch vampires. All you want is demented madman running around in ski masks hacking up young virgins. Oh yeah, I love that line. I think that's the, <laughs> the perfect line. It's a great line, but it also is gets to my point of really the consciousness of the genre at the time and how vampire films were not in they were they were too slow when this was the t- around the time that uh Friday the thirteenth was out. It came out like a year earlier, two years earlier. Um Nightmare on Elm Street was well, out, they, Halloween was out. Those were the slasher film was prevalent. Friday the thirteenth and Halloween were at their like third or fourth sequel at that point. Yeah. So that's that's the big genre at the time. It's the gore and guts, uh, fast paced. And then nobody wants to sit around and watch a slow paced, brooding vampire film. And I think being conscious of that really is what makes this film sort of work, and it's reflexive and funny because of that. And that was the the line that sums it up. I guess it also explains his name because Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, and his name is Peter Vincent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's it's an easy thing, but I like didn't really like think of it until now. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, dropping knowledge. Um. What are, you, what are you thinking over there? <laughs> what am I thinking? Um, <laughs> oh, I guess just hitting back on my whole vampire traditions and, I mean, in Act 2, Eddie, Evil Ed, if we will, basically hits every single stereotypical way to stop a vampire in the film. Um, he gives him garlic, steak through the heart, crosses, they can't, Come into your home unless they're invited. The holy water, 
um, all of those are kind of thrown at you really quick in like a two minute spree. And, and then Charlie goes, well, that's it. Almost. As <laughs> 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 and so there's nothing more. Um, just sort of a tongue in cheek moment. And then uh, uh, right following that, um, he walks to his house and his mom is invited in Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> and I think that was that was a great cut to that, where he had just learned of all these things he can't do, and his mom had just invited him in. So, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Towards his plans, yeah. <laughs> And to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? The vampire knows I know about him. Or at least he will when he wakes up tonight. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. <laughs> what? Come on, Evil, I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me what to do to protect myself. Uh, very funny, Brewster. Evil, please, I'm not kidding. Just tell me what to do. Don't call me Evil anymore. Should I help you anyway? Look, I've got eight bucks. You help me, and and it's yours. Well, far be it from me to turn down a fool's money. Uh, now, where and when do you expect the vampire to attack? In my bedroom tonight. Start with this. You must have total faith in it for it to work. Then get some garlic, links of the stuff you can wear around your neck and hang from your window. If he comes for you, that'll be the way. Then, oh, of course, there's holy water. <laughs> but uh, you, you got to get a priest to say a blessing over it first. <laughs> That's it? I'm afraid so. But your best protection right now, Charles, is that a vampire cannot enter your house without being invited by the rightful owner first. Are you sure about that? Positive. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. I, I think it's... I want to see, like, a another version to this movie where it, like, is Evil Ed's character's background because he, like, he's like, don't call me that. He's, like, so angry with the Brewster for a, a, like I, I don't know like what happened with their friendship I mean you kind of see it a little more in like the remake yeah uh, but in this one just like right away it's just like almost animosity for each other for like no apparent reason yeah that's true there really was a lot of angst between them and you're kind of portrayed as supposed to be best friends I really don't know what the under underlying yeah. underlying problem was there like when he uh I don't know, spilled all his food over himself and then Evil Ed's like, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> oh, Evil Ed killed it. He was totally into his role and uh, loved Evil the, Ed. The first time I watched the movie, I couldn't handle how ridiculous his character was. <laughs> but then you slowly grow to love Evil Ed. <laughs> yeah, and then, I, and then I fucking love him because he's just like the most, one of the most ridiculous like side characters I've ever seen. Yeah, he's totally off the wall bananas compared to like Charlie's attitude. Like, 
<laughs> it's like Abbott and Costello almost. Yeah. Like, you, I, I'm crack. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Oh. Um, well, since you brought Evil Ed up, you, um, he was originally, I don't know if you knew this, offered to be the lead role in the second Fright Night, the original second Fright Night, um, but turned it down because he didn't like the direction that they were taking Evil Ed. He didn't like the way they portrayed Evil Ed in the, uh, in the first film, and he turned it down. Interesting. So he just did not like his character at all? No, he was didn't really enjoy the film or his character, um, and he was supposed to be a bigger part in the second one. Because you hear his laugh at the very end of this movie. Like, it's his cackle, and then it goes to credits. Yeah, because I've never seen part two, so I was kind of thinking, I was like, oh, I wonder if they kind of bring that back into fruition, but I guess not. <laughs> it was supposed to be, like, the focal point of Fright Night 2, part two. Um, but I guess here's a time to drop some trivia on some history of Fright Night. Um, Fright Night Part 2 was supposed to come out because of the success of Fright Night, obviously, um, but got quickly released just a, like a VHS DVD release instead of a, a, a full nationwide theater release, and then it halted the production of a Fright Night Part 3. Do you know what the incident was, Pete, that stopped this? I have literally no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I was... Uh, unaware of this until just, I mean, researching it with my presentation, but um, you've heard of the Menendez brothers and um, how they went to jail for the murder of their, their parents? Oh, yeah! Jose Menendez was the owner of the studio that produced Fright Night and he was the murders occurred in the trial um, right around the release of Fright Night Part 2, so the studio halted Fright Night Part 2 and then just did away with Fright Night 3. Um, because of the case and because of the death of the chairman of the studio. So the Menendez trial played a huge part in the Fright Night trilogy, or would have been trilogy. That's that's pretty a, a way to stop a series, I would say, is a fucking murder. Yeah, I would say so too. I was like, what? Oh my gosh. The, one of the most... Um, most interesting ways for a sequel to not uh, pan out is probably Grizzly 2. Mm -hmm. I would say read up on that. Grizzly 2, because, okay. Uh, George Clooney, Charlie Sheen, and uh, Laura Dern are, are, were supposed to be in that movie, mm -hmm. and they shot it, but that movie is fucking bananas, and <laughs> the story behind of how it was made is more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Grizzly 2, making a note. Check out why it did not get made. <laughs> like, uh, even think about it, I can't even, like, stop laughing because it's fucking crazy. <laughs> but, but back to Fright Night. <laughs> <laughs> back to the Fright Night. Um, one thing that I want to point out with this film and how it was conscious of itself, I keep saying that, being redundant, but um, the way they portray vampires, um, you'll see them in various types of films as either like the aristocrat, the sex symbol, which which does happen with Jerry Dandridge here, especially in that beautifully choreographed nightclub scene, Pete. 
Um, he, <laughs> he, he is a sex symbol. No question, no debate. Um, and he has that sort of like high class uh, look to him, which a vampire does. But also, um, they flip it to um, they have the, the all that makeup that makes them look like monsters almost, like d- from dusk till dawn type vampire. So they they go complete one eighty and hit every sort of uh, depiction of what a vampire is with this film. And I think that adds to their whole idea of being very aware of the vampire genre. Um, which going along with that tidbit about the movie when uh, Evil Ed turned into the werewolf it took 18 hours to do that makeup for those scenes and on top of that um, when they did the saliva that was drooling out of his mouth the uh, costume people used an adhesive on accident didn't know and and it glued his lips shut so he was unable to breathe underneath that Wolf costume and makeup. Oh god, <laughs> he's fine. Uh, he's good now. Uh, he's still kicking. <laughs> he's still kicking. Evil Ed, but at the time, wasn't too funny. Um, let's see. What's uh? What's your favorite Evil Ed uh, line? Oh, uh, what's his my favorite? I don't, I don't know. I, I probably wrote something down in my notes here. I got to peruse, but uh, all of them? Can I say all of them? All of the above? <laughs> this all uh, ten minutes that he's in the movie for? Maybe a little more than that? Yeah. What, what, do you have one? I don't. The one that I don't remember the line specifically, but the one that he's like, "Oh, let me in, uh, Peter," because he's like knocking on the door, and then he's just like. Oh, you're gonna be sorry now. And like he was like pretending to cry, and then he's like attacked him, mm-hmm. and then he got that burned cross. Oh, great scene! Yeah, I, yeah, I just thought that was pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the master's gonna get you now. Well, <laughs> oh. oh. what, 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 what scene? Is the most '80s to you in this movie? Is it the dance? It's, is it the dance it's club? It's gotta be the dance scene. <laughs> that one it goes on like forever, and it, it, with no talking, and him and Amy just dancing away to I feel like two full songs. I feel I feel like it was the extent of two full songs. Just uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> which just two really long club mixes in the '80s. <laughs> Yeah, and they're, they're bright colors and popped collars. Oh, it was great. No, but I think that was a great time to show showcase the sort of hypnotic trances that uh, Jerry Danders was putting on people because that was when he lured Amy away and she was under his spell. Yeah, the, it, it was so weird, like, how entranced she was with him, like, right away. She's like, ooh, like... Yeah. <laughs> and then she's, like, supposed to be, like, 16 or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he looks uh, on the on the upside of 30. I mean, he's probably pushing close to 40 in this movie, I feel like. I'm pretty sure he is, because I saw a movie of him recently. I watched The Sentinel. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, Chris Sarandon's in that movie, and he is not... He is way more attractive in this movie really? than he is in The Sentinel. And The Sentinel's from, like, late 70s. Okay. Maybe it's that 70s porn stash he's rocking <laughs> that that's a, draws that's me a away. That's a for you? 
Yeah, where in this one, he's just like... He's suave. A little more, he's, he's a little more cleaned up and yeah. uh, a little better looking. Yeah, he's very polished in this one. Except when he turns into a ravenous monster. But I digress. When he's trying to kill... He's like, just forget about me. And then he stabs him with a fucking pencil. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. uh, there's a good, a good illustration of foreshadowing there is when Amy's picture goes out the window... And smashes into, gets staked, if, if I can, if I can use that phrase, on the picket fence. Um, basically showcasing that later on, she's going to be a vampire. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's when I turned <laughs> off the movie and I said, I'm done. <laughs> no, I finished. Um, going with that. I guess we've... We've summed up a lot of the plot uh, and given it some history, but so we'll go into the production side of it, if you don't mind, Pete. Um, let's, let's do it. Cool. Um, would you like to take a guess? What do you think the budget was for this film in 1985? So adjust for inflation. I know you can do that mental math in your head. Yeah. <laughs> I think I. Um, I think I know how much was spent on special effects because I think I read that special effect. Uh, I'm sure it was a lot. The little trivia. I think it was a million dollars spent. It was like the first horror movie to spend a million dollars on special effects. Sure, yeah. So I think, um, I don't know, I'm going to say around six million overall budget, not adjusted for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not adjusted? Okay. Yeah. Um, you're pretty close, actually. Seven million dollar budget. So with that inflation adjusted, you probably nailed it. Uh, it was seven million, and it grossed uh, just under twenty-five million. So you could see why they were in production for a few sequels coming up. Yeah, they definitely made enough money to to fund those. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tom Holland was not going to be on the next features. It was going to be a new director because he went on to do uh, Child's Play after this film. You know, ch- yeah, I was trying to think. I was trying to think when Child's Play came out, and I thought it was like, I thought it was like the on the edge of the eighties. I thought on the edge. You mean like the like end? like yeah, like eighty eight, eighty nine is what I thought. Yeah, that would work out because this was eighty five, and he decided not to do the sequels uh, and to do Child's Play. And if I had to guess, I would uh, it came out in eighty eight. So yeah, you're right. Nailed it, Pete. Yeah, the little me- little mental math right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's interested in uh, doing another Fright Night, which would be interesting. Yeah, I know. I- I've heard that as well um, because he he didn't hate the the remake, which we can get into. I thought was I thought it was a good remake with Colin Farrell. I really yeah, liked that. I, remake, I thought it was actually. a really good remake, and he didn't hate it, but he said he would have done it differently. So I would love to see. Um, maybe not a remake again of Fright Night, but like Fright Night Part Two. Well, well they did a Fright Night Part Two uh, remake, but just a different Fright Night. I think that'd be good. I just hope he makes. He hasn't made a good movie in a while. I'm I'm, I'm shitting on Tom Holland right now, where he mm. his last good movie. Ooh, I'm looking at his filmography. It's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough few years since Fright Night and Child's Play. Like. I mean, maybe some people would be like, oh, Thinner, or the couple episodes of Langoliers, or whatever the hell, like, crap. 
by Stephen King, as however you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, it doesn't hold up as is what I've heard. Yeah, I've, I've never. I've heard similar. Never seen it. Yeah. Um, well, here's another tidbit, real quick, into the into the sequels and remakes we were talking about. Uh, Sarandon was actually in the remake. And he was offered to play Jerry Dandridge again, but he turned it down. And oh man, if he played him again, that would have been so great. It would have been even fantastic. Though, even though Colin Farrell was pretty great mm-hmm. as that character, it would have been nice seeing him again. Yeah, just like oh man, that would have been so just great. Thirty years <laughs> older, but apparently Colin Farrell was a huge fan. Is what I heard, and like was um, really excited to see Jerry. Uh, not Jerry. His name not Jerry Dandridge. <laughs> uh, was it? Is it Chris Sarandon? That his name? Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. yeah. I was a huge fan and was like, loved to see him on set. And uh, he actually was in the movie and he was one of the, he was the first death by Colin Farrell in the film. So. Okay, I remember reading that fact when I was like, because I watched the movie with one of my friends. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, wow, this movie's actually pretty good. And I thought, because I couldn't recognize him, so I thought I thought he was the guy he killed while driving the car. I know we're jumping to different Fright Night now. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was that guy, but he definitely killed someone else before that. Mm. (laughs) And that was the original Jerry Dandridge. Oh, something I want to bring up. You know that, like, the first attractive girl you see and then, like, the Brewster checks out her ass? Isn't that fucking Helen Hunt? Is it? No. It, I swear to God, it looks exactly like her. Helen Hunt is in Fright Night? I I mean, I tried looking it up, and she's not credited at all. I couldn't find out, like, hooker or, like, you know, attractive blonde girl. But, like, it, lo- it like, w- literally looked like a young Helen Hunt. Or, I, I mean, I was trying to figure out who else wow. it would be. No, I'd have to, I'll pay attention to that next time. I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, look. I I just want to like, like send you a picture right now. Yeah, screenshot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of that like. I was just like, wait, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good to figure out. So okay. Good. Oh, go ahead. Um. What the heck? Okay, it's it's not her. Wow. This person <laughs> looks like a Helen Hunt. Like, she literally looks like her It's me. her stunt double? I, it's, it's played by Heidi Sorensen, who I literally have no idea who that is. Sorensen. My apologies. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> but yeah, they just, like, show her butt, and then I'm just like, what's going on here? <laughs> that looks like Helen Hunt's butt. Is that what you were thinking, Pete? <laughs> no, I just like it. Just like looked like her to me. Like I, I'll just, I'll freaking text this to you right now because it's like ridiculous how much it looks like her. Sure, yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's gonna be a really. I'm just gonna take a picture of it because it's just gonna be. It's just gonna be faster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete. I think we're about rounding up this episode of. Of it records, um, and to round it out, I'd like you um, to guess 
on Rotten Tomatoes, what is 1985's Fright Night? Rated at right now, and then would you recommend the film? I'm pretty sure... I, I think I saw it recently. I think it's like 95, 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. The correct answer is 91. You're pretty pretty damn close, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend this movie because it's just so... Like, I thought... We, I feel like we had a little hard time trying to explain this movie because it's just like... It's just a really fun vampire movie and that's really what it is. Yeah, essentially that's what it is. I mean, I recommend it as well. I mean, I think I said that already, but it's just... It's a vampire film when they were going out so they put like everything that you know about vampires into it. Um, it was it was funny. Like, it wasn't a distinguished movie by any ways, but it had fun being what it was. Like... Just being a, a vampire tale with um, a kid who loves horror movies, and it was it was entertaining. It was scary at times and funny at times. It was a perfect blend. Did you get my text? Yeah. <laughs> I want I wanted I wanted to like hear your reaction. And be like, oh yeah, that does look like her. Oh, wow, that does. See, <laughs> see, <it> lo- <laughs> that looks so much like her. Yeah, you were not wrong. Yeah. And then I was like, that's gotta be her. I was like, why isn't she? I was like, she became so famous and didn't even credit her? That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So, (laughs) you want to hear her her background information at the end of the episode? (laughs) What's that? You want to hear her, her, so I'm on the the Fright Night Wikipedia page, <laughs> but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, like, it's for like Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cheryl Lane is only a minor character from Fright Night to appear in the video game adaptation. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> She's the only one? The only minor character, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird stat. A character called Doris is used in a similar way in the remake. The character seems to be a combination of the hooker and teenage victim from the original. Charlie is uh, shown staring at her glutes (laughs) while walking home early in the film. (laughs) Later, she is seen wearing a turquoise dress while falling victim to Cherry Dundridge. Doris also has blonde hair and is described as a stripper by Amy Peterson. Wow. How about that? (laughs) Makes it to the video game. And uh, I would say that's uh, our ending note on uh, uh, episode of Fright Night. <laughs> I would say so as well. I think that rounds up the episode of It Records for Fright Night. And until next time, we will remain in the shadows. Signing off, Matt Johnson. And Peter Hansen. R.A.P. J.K. <laughs> <laughs>